Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 21st episode of Walk Off Bach. It is the August 24th edition. My name is Tom Mulhern. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kim. Kevin, how you doing? Not bad, yo. Good, good. Now, the Red Sox just won 2-1 last night against the Rays. It was a big win to maintain the top spot in the AL East. Uh, but before we dive into that, is there anything you want to get off your chest, Kevin? Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, so I've been noticing Gary Sanchez of the Yankees really putting in the work recently. So, among major league catchers, this is on Fangraphs, uh, Jonathan Lucroy leads the major leagues in war with 3.8. Sandy Leone in 47 games is 5th with 2.8. Now, 2.8. Now, Gary Sanchez, he's played in 17 games. 17! 70 plate appearances so far. He's 10th in the league in war with 1.6 among catchers. You know, I mean, <laughs> just, it's that's, just crazy. He's had... That's definitely something that you had to get off your chest. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously he's a top prospect for them, and he's going to be good. You know, don't uh, undervalue prospects. Am I right? That is true. Anyway. Anyway. Okay, cool. So, like I said before, the Red Sox uh, just won. Uh, keeps them tied for first place in the AL East. The uh, the big story of the day, though, behind this win, is how Clay Buckholtz performed in his third start, filling in for the injured Stephen Wright. Let me give you some some a quick line right here. He went six and a third innings of five hit ball, allowing two walks and one earned run, with nine strikeouts in six and a third from Clay Buckholtz. Nine. Yeah, I mean, the big thing with Clay so far this year is that he hasn't been striking out many guys. But Clay, he's got that devastating curve, obviously. And he used that to good effect today. And thank goodness for the nine strikeouts. Only limited his walks to two batters. Uh, kept his pitch count really low. Uh, Ray's team isn't the best offensive team. But it was nice to see Clay really dominate a team, especially at Tropicana Field. Um, against a division rival and against a good pitcher in Chris Archer. Yeah, no, he was definitely, you know, showing his best stuff in this outing. You know, it doesn't matter that it was only against the Rays. You know, he the he had a nice crisp touch to his curve, like you mentioned, and all his whole pitching arsenal seemed to be well in control. I mean, that's how you get nine strikeouts. And, you know, something worth noting is ever since that Clay, ever since Clay Buckholtz got demoted to the bullpen for the second time on July 2nd, since then, he's had a three ERA. You know, that's considering that he has a, a 5.18 ERA on the season, that's, that's pretty good. So we've really seen a turnaround from, from Clay Buckholtz. And, you know, that's kind of a, you know, quick shout out to John Farrell and, and the management. Uh, or front office of the Red Sox, you know, how they handled Clay Buckholtz. You know, a lot a lot of people in Boston were, you know, demanding his head, really, uh, after allowing so many home runs and just totally underperforming compared to what, you know, we all thought he was going to be. And instead of, you know, outright releasing him or uh, trying to trade him, which actually I'm sure they probably did try to trade him, but instead of, you know, just dumping him essentially for nobody, they... Kept him in the organization. They let him still have some 
time to pitch. They still stuck with him and worked on his arm slot uh, so that, you know, maybe he could have a bounce back performance. Look at what he's doing now. You know, three consecutive starts where he's been, you know, he's been pretty impressive. And he's held down uh, the fort for the Red Sox and, you know, really putting them in a position to win. Definitely a great job by the Red Sox to be patient and keep him in there because Clay does have a track record of being inconsistent. But mm-hmm. when he's on, he's on. We've seen that in 2010. We saw that to some extent in 2013. Well, we saw that a lot in 2013, and we saw that a bit last year. Mm-hmm. And for me, Clay Buckles was so bad that there was no way that he was going to continue being this really crappy pitcher who could barely get out of the third inning every game. So yeah. for me, I, I want to say that it was it, we, we saw this coming from Clay. But, you know, obviously to see him perform well in the bullpen to some degree, but even more importantly to come back in the starting rotation and put in the work. And that's way more important to the Red Sox. And it's good for Clay. Maybe he'll have his uh, option exercise for next year at $13.5 million. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely see. And, you know, this kind of begs the question, what do they do with him now? Now that Steve Ray is going to be coming back, Eduardo Rodriguez is coming back, they already have the five men in the rotation. How can you sit Clay Buckholtz, put him to the bullpen after doing what he's been doing? It's it's tough. I mean, they have to because of the guys who are waiting to come in. But, you know, it's 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 tough. Uh, maybe they'll try to go to a six-man rotation every once in a while. Uh, but we'll see. Anyway, you know, obviously all around a very impressive performance from Buckholtz. Something unimpressive about this game, though, was the effort from the Red Sox offense. Five hits total against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, you know, that's not very good. And that kind of, you know, it, it, that gets magnified by the, by the fact that they had one hit after the third inning. You know, just to give you a quick breakdown of how the game went down, the Red Sox and Rays were tied uh at nil until the third inning when uh, a couple of singles and some fortune and luck brought the Red Sox two runs. And then from there, uh, Buckles held it down until the fifth and allowed the one run um, in that fifth. And then the bullpen came in and, and contributed what they did. Uh, but, you know, the Red Sox offense was just totally anemic after that third inning. Five hits. You mentioned that uh, those two runs, even one of them was unearned when Ortiz actually came home from a single by Betts, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, he was. Yeah. I believe um, the throw actually went into the dugout and uh, Ortiz was able to score. Well, you know, sometimes you have these off days, especially against a great pitcher like Archer, who... The one-loss record of 7-17 doesn't show it, but Archer's a very talented guy, and he's had a rough start to the year, and he's bounced back, having a sub-3 ERA over this past eight starts. But And he pitched pretty well, six strikeouts, two walks, but only lasted five innings. The problem with Archer is that Archer really has this thing where he tries to strike everybody out, so he ends up throwing a lot, a lot of pitches. Um, he threw 109 pitches in five innings today. The Red Sox did a great job of really bringing his pitch count up high and went into the bullpen really early. Sixth inning, 
uh, Kevin Jepsen came in. He hasn't he hasn't done that well this year, but the Red Sox just weren't able to get too much off the Rays bullpen. And you know, so, sometimes that's okay because we got guys like we as in the <laughs> the Red Sox have the guys like Clay Buckholz who can put in the work at a time when the Red Sox offense just isn't performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that's important to note is obviously, like you mentioned, uh, you know, the Red Sox offense can't always be the, the team that scores five runs. Well, they can't score five runs every single game, six runs, and go on these tears. It's not going to happen, especially, like you mentioned, against a guy like Archer. They have to instead just find ways to win. And this will kind of go into our next topic a little bit. Um, but, you know, this is such a quality win for the Red Sox because this was, I consider this an off night. I, you know, as great as Clay Buckles was and as, you know, shut down as the bullpen was, I mean, two and two thirds innings allowing one hit and striking out four from the bullpen, that's great. You know, the pitching staff did well. But the, offense like i said just really off night they were one for seven with runners in scoring position they left five guys on base um you know that's not too high but when considering that they only had nine runners reach in general that's not you know that's not very good um overall the great thing about this is that they won and you know, you really expect that from contenders. They did what they had to do in the third inning. They strung together a couple of hits. They made some adjustments against uh, Chris Archer, you know, changing the way that they were going about their at-bats because they were striking out a lot early against him and that deadly slider that Archer has. They, you know, like I said, they just changed their approach. They got a couple of singles and got what they needed to get. And, you know, that's just really what championship-winning teams do even if it's only against the Rays. And, you know, that's just good to see. It was great to see the Red Sox pulling out the win from a bullpen perspective, too, because we've seen the bullpen be very inconsistent this year. Um, the number of close games that they've lost because of guys like Tazawa or uh, Kimbrell or Ziegler just underperforming, I mean, it just seems like there are so many more this year than there have been the past few years. But today, they... Pulled it off. The Red Sox, you know, the number of runs scored indicate that their actual win percentage, um, categorized by the Pythagorean win-loss, win a.k.a. the win-loss ratio just from the number of runs they scored, should be 73 and 51. But in reality, they are 71 and 54. That shows that they've actually strung together their runs at a more sporadic rate. In other words, not as good in one-run games, and that can be attributed to the bullpen, who hasn't, which hasn't really done that well this year. So to see Ziegler come in, uh, to see Kimbrell come in for the save, and of course, you know Robbie Ross with the two-thirds innings of clean work, uh, you know that's refreshing to see. And like you said, it's just another piece of a championship team. Mm-hmm. And you know this team recently has really started to look like a serious contender. I mean, they're winners of 10 of their last 12. And that includes one win against the Indians and that one game makeup 
That includes two wins against the Orioles, two wins against the Tigers. You know, that's that's a decent stretch of winning. Their only two losses actually came against the Tigers. So, you know, overall, they've put themselves in a really great position moving forward when because of their intense road schedule that they're going through right now. I mean, they're currently in the midst of an 11-game road trip. And, you know, they they play the majority of their games on the road moving forward. These are the games that they have to win, and that's what they're doing. They're winning, and that shows in the standings. They're tied for first in the, uh, in the AL East. And, you know, that's what you really want. You don't want to be in the wild card game because anything can happen in the wild card game. You don't want to be in the wild card game. Anything can happen in the wild card game. Look at what just happened to the A's. A couple of years ago, you know, they were clearly the better team than the Royals, but the Royals pulled through and ended up making a World Series run. Anything can happen. You want to avoid that. I have to talk about with the Red Sox from last night. Uh, around the league, uh, the Blue Jays won against the Angels. The Blue Jays won against the Angels. The Orioles beat the Nationals both games in convincing fashion with Toronto beating LA 7-2 and Baltimore beating Washington 8-1. At the time of this podcast, the Yankees game against the Mariners is currently going on. And and obviously the Red Sox beat the Rays. So that is all we have to talk about with box scores and just, you know, standings in general. We're going to talk about now for this last portion of the podcast, a deeper issue, or maybe not an issue, just conversation. So just recently, Boston Herald posted an article where they had this interview with John Henry, uh, the Red Sox owner, and he was talking about, partly in this, you know, they talked about a lot of things, but something that he mentioned and that the article just touched base on was the correlation between spending money by organizations and those organizations actually winning and how that relationship is starting to, you know, dissolve. You know, you're starting to see less results for the money that you spend. Kevin, do you kind of just want to take it from there? Yeah, it's very interesting to me because, okay, John, first of all, John Henry talked about a lot of topics. This was just one of many, Yeah, like Tom said. So... You know, it, what he says kind of makes sense because all the money that goes in in free agency is given to players with more than six years of service time. We see, you know, we saw a couple of years ago, Jacoby Ellsbury get a, eight years, $150 plus million. Um, you know, Brian McCann get uh, five years, $85 million. million. Obviously, I'm just uh, piling out all the Yankees because... We hate the Yankees on this podcast, and we want them to have the least amount of financial flexibility possible. But wow, <laughs> even though they they spend all this money on these players, didn't mean that didn't mean that they did very well. The main reason for that is baseball is really getting younger every year. We see great players that come in, such as Chris Bryant, Corey Seager, who are rookies or second year players that are in arbitration they don't make that much money and because of because they're younger because the game is going towards a younger side they the 
players that perform so well aren't necessarily the ones making the most money. If 30-year-olds, 31-year-olds, I mean, those those are the guys that are kind of past the prime that are earning earning the cash, earning the big bucks. And because teams such as the Royals are able to effectively manage their payroll and gear themselves towards a younger core group, we see the Red Sox are doing that this year. But the Red Sox complement it with a different variety. So it's like it's really about spending money smartly. Yeah, no, this is definitely an interesting topic that I never really noticed or even thought about um, till I saw this, uh, you know, tidbit from from John Henry. You know, it totally makes sense. Look, you you can just look at so many different situations where you see so much money or so little money being spent and there's winning or losing. I mean, obviously for the past couple of years, the Red Sox have really spent that dough. And with the exception of this year, they haven't won a ton. I mean, they obviously made it to the world series and won it in 2013. But even before that, when they spent so much money on, on Kyle Crawford and Adrian Gonzalez, I mean, obviously that was a trade, but you know, they spent all that money and, and they don't win. The Yankees have been spending a crap ton of money lately, and they haven't been winning. And then you look at a team like the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays have almost no financial flexibility, and with the exception of the past two years, they went on a, a really solid winning pair. And like you mentioned, the Royals—they go on. A, they've been uh, really good lately, and they don't have a huge payroll. So it's just interesting just to look at it. Um. Yeah, even just, the, even the teams with the higher payrolls, like the Yankees and the Dodgers, they really have to adapt their team structure. Um, the Yankees, we've seen them really sell off this past midseason, and play and teams that really need to sell in order to gain these prospects, so they can control them for a longer period of time and pay them less money. They do it. Look at the Reds, the Brewers. Um, Teams like that this year of teams in the past few years, I mean, they've been very clear about selling and buying. And that's because money is so tight in today's game. But at the same time, uh, these money, while it may not necessarily correlate with a win percentage, um, and well, obviously, we're saying that the money, the money correlation is going down. These teams are finding smarter ways to spend their money. Yeah, so this kind of also ties into our conversation earlier this week about when we were talking about MLB rule change proposals. And, you know, just overall how the game has evolved. You know, there was that, that point in time when the when the market was really breaking wide open, and it's still breaking open uh, with all these new contracts um, getting, you know, more lucrative as the years go on. But, you know, it's not about spending huge money anymore. It, it's really, you know, you really have to still have a solid scouting department, like you mentioned, and you really have to just make smarter decisions on how you're going to spend your money. Obviously, teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers, you know, they have the payroll to be able to kind of just throw money at, at something and hope for the best. But, you know, maybe these teams are starting to realize that's not the best way to do things. And it's just it's just really interesting to think about just because of 
you know, what we've seen um, in these recent years with all this, you know, big spending on, I mean, Mike Leake is a perfect example of a player who got a ton of money that they don't deserve, but that's just the market now. They're getting a ton of money and, you know, winning isn't following. So, well, I mean, yeah, let's just look at the major league leaders in wins of replacement. Mike Trout, Jose Altuve, Chris Bryant, Corey Seager, Josh Donaldson, Mookie Betts, Manny Machado, Evan Longoria, Francisco Lindor. These guys, with the exception of Longoria and Donaldson, all of these guys are 25 or younger. Mm-hmm. And if since these players are so much younger, they're just making less money. And these teams just tend to be on better teams just because they're providing so much value. And finding value, we've seen it in Moneyball. Uh, you can find it in tons of different ways. Uh, when teams are able to utilize finding value with less money in the payroll, that's when baseball's parity becomes more obvious, and it's it's better for the game to see less below-market teams do well. It brings uh, a lot of teams into into the discussion for the playoffs. Yes. Yeah, no, it's definitely, this is something that we could talk about for probably a couple hours. It's just, it's very, it's a very deep conversation. It's very, I mean, it's simple, but the amount of lengths that you could go to to really give examples about this topic is just complex. So with that said, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, Kev? Um, just want to say that the Red Sox are doing really well, uh, obviously, and this is a good time for the team, Red Sox fans. Enjoy it. Losses may, hopefully will not come soon, but, you know, all good things will come and bite you in the butt eventually, and, um, maybe that's what will happen to the Red Sox, but hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah, well said. So that is all we have for you today on Walk Off Bach. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Walk Off Bach Pod. Uh, and that is it. My name is Tom Mulhern. This is Kevin Kim. And see you guys later. Peace.